Hello, and welcome to another edition of IDS Talks. Specifically, welcome to D3 Delightfully Digestible Data version six. My name is Jonathan Sachs, Chief Revenue Officer at IDS, and I'm joined by Tim LaTulip, one of our directors out of IDS's London office, and I'd even call him a friend. Uh, as I said, we're here to talk about version six of D3, the email that Tim sends to uh, various people. If you don't currently receive that email, he'd be happy to add you to it. You just need to reach out to him either from our website, idsinc.com, or you can find him on LinkedIn. Unlike other versions of delightfully digestible data, version six focuses on only one topic. And that topic was the UK government's COVID-19 inquiry as it relates to Boris Johnson's communications. Tim, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I say good morning. We, we tend to do these in the morning, but that's afternoon for you. So I think I should just say good day, but then they might think this is transatlantic um, and some other bodies of water and we're in Australia. You know, I... I think it has. Yeah, I think you greet the person based on where they are. So I should say good morning to you. It is all about me. Not yeah. true. This is this is our podcast. So uh, we're actually here today to talk about Tim's D3 delightfully digestible data. And we're already at version six of it. Um, it for those who don't know, it's a email that he sends with uh, quite um, on a quite regular basis. Um, no one knows who's on that list, but we're always happy to add more people to that email. If you are interested in uh, getting it, perhaps after listening to today's podcast, go ahead and reach out to uh, out to Tim on either um, our through our webpage where you can get his IDS email address or you can hit him up on LinkedIn. But like I said, we're here to talk about the current email and this time. You took a different approach, Tim. The other ones have covered a couple of topics or a few topics. This time we focused on one. You focused on the UK government's COVID-19 inquiry as it relates to Boris Johnson's um, or, uh, as I like to think, perhaps your version of the former president uh, of the United States. But Boris Johnson's communications as relates to that time period and COVID-19. So welcome, Tim, to talk about version six of D3. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Look, looking forward to uh, getting into it a bit. All right, so um, I love this. I get to play the role of the uh, ignorant um, American. So I think I might know what this story is about, but let's start with the backstory. COVID-19, Things were happening over in uh, in Europe, in Great Britain. Things were happening here in the U.S. Boris Johnson at the time, prime minister. What's what's the backstory? Yeah, I'll, I'll be pretty brief with that. I, I think it helps set the stage for people. But um, it's it's really a conversation about data and, and how what, what the sort of interplay is between these issues and those that our listeners might face with their internal investigations, regulatory uh, inquiries or, you know, litigation based kind of challenges. But yeah, I mean, the world doesn't need much of a lesson in terms of what happened in 2020. Um, you know, the government sort of in uh, domino fashion started locking down and shutting down. The UK were one of the latest or last in Europe. I mean, we might have even been after the United States, if I can't remember, actually, but it's, it's sort of irrelevant. But 
what what's happened is our government here has launched an, an inquest or an inquiry into sort of how it was handled. The last time they did something this large would have been probably the Chilco report, which was kind of looking at Tony Blair's invasion of Iraq and that sort of thing. Um, you know, which the facts show what they show. Um, but that that soaked up a lot of time and energy and money. This is following a similar process. I mean, I think there'll be some some reports that come out. Hopefully it doesn't take, you know, 15 years like the other one did. Uh, but this is this is really looking into key decisions that the top of the food chain uh made during the initial lockdown period. So I think uh January well, January 2020 to Feb 2021 or so. So you're looking at about a baker's dozen there in terms of months, um, primarily focusing on on Boris Johnson's correspondence and communications. Whether they're looking at other ministers, I I can't speak to that. I'm not super glued into the inquiry. Um, but this is this is fairly standard for the UK government. When something major happens, they kind of turn the magnifying glass back on themselves and start start having a dig into uh to evidence. Okay, and so you talked about his communications. And so uh, what I'd like to focus on here, because in part it was the focus of your D3, is communications through WhatsApp and therefore WhatsApp data, correct? That's right. Correct. So let's let, let me ask this question. What happens to WhatsApp data? And that's actually it's a question before that. The WhatsApp app is on my device. Where do my WhatsApp communications, where do the communications sit on my device or in the cloud and what happens to that data? Yeah, this this is a fun question and it's a good place to start. I think this will help dispel and demystify it for some of the listeners and, and yourself potentially, Jonathan, because it's, I think it's a bit of a, I think it's a bit of a confusing um, framework, how some of these applications work, WhatsApp in particular. So to start, the data actually don't live, you know, up in the ether. They don't live meta WhatsApp, the, the entity, any of their subsidiaries. They don't hold those messages somewhere like SMS texts on your phone. Those pass through a carrier. And unless you've got some kind of compliance agreement or some kind of search order type agreement in place, those aren't being captured either. What's happening here with WhatsApps is that they live on the device. So if Jonathan texts Dominic Tucker, those messages live on both of their handsets, on their devices. The other place they could live uh, would be in sort of cloud backups, respectively, if they're using Android or iPhones, they would be in uh, Google backups or in uh, iCloud backups. So you'd have a derivative kind of one-to-one copy of those in in their respective kind of locked cloud accounts. But they don't. There's no sort of middle point for these messages, and they they exclusively live on on the mobile phone that they're they're registered to. Okay. Does that does that make sense? It does. It does. Yes. Um, and and I I appreciate the 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 nuance of this because. It depends. It seems to depend on what your communications app is that you're using, and then as as you've just said, um, it can depend on what kind of settings the user has. Because you mentioned it could be in iCloud, mm-hmm. unless I'm not saving things to the to iCloud. Um, that's unless, right, right? And and so uh, that's interesting. Now, in, in the case of Boris Johnson and the and the 
the quest for his communications. Um, what what was being claimed with respect to his WhatsApp communications, at least initially? Yeah, sure, sure. So the, there was a the controversy of the the row about it that got picked up in the papers. Um, I, I mean, some of that might have made its way out of out of the UK because he's such a high profile figure, but it certainly saturated the papers here. Uh, he the the inquiry had asked for certain documents and evidence, which they probably got fairly fairly promptly and without much resistance. But the the WhatsApp point is an inflection point for everyone because in all manner of electronic investigation, it's where the authorities and those after potentially relevant data are looking. WhatsApp is insanely popular in Europe and in, in, in the UK, just all of Europe. It, I know it's used quite a bit in the US as well, but but it's like the main way to communicate in this part of the world. Uh, it's platform agnostic. Anyone can use it. If you're using two different, everyone's got a, someone's got a Sony phone, someone's got an iPhone. It doesn't matter. Everyone can be in the same chat. Um, so they were looking for those, those key messages because they, they knew well that ministers were using WhatsApp for, for official dealings, which is a whole nother, you know, uh, can of worms and probably, probably a conversation for someone like Jacques uh, in a compliance centric conversation. But it's, it's a bit, it's a bit nutty to me actually that, that, that persists to this day. Um, there are definitely better ways to, you can still use WhatsApp, but there's better ways to kind of monitor it and make sure it's being uh, captured for, for official uh, purposes. But they, they knew ministers were communicating over WhatsApp. Uh, and so that's, that was kind of a focus. People tend to be more candid with these kinds of apps, they feel familiar. They text their, their, their friends and their, you know, their, their brothers and mothers, uh, on these things. So there's quite a bit of comfort with them. Uh, so some, some of the controversy around this had to do with the older of two phones that I understand, uh, Mr. Johnson had, uh, one of which covered a period, uh, the relevant period up until I think May of, 1T21 or something like that, whatever the cutoff period was, he had an older phone for which he uh, could not produce the home screen pin code. So if you take your iPhone and you you tap the home button, if you have one or you swipe up or you know whatever, everyone's very familiar with this. You have to enter in a, a minimum a four digit pin to unlock the phone. He was claiming he he couldn't remember with confidence whatever this pin number was. So this was the initial issue they couldn't they couldn't get into the phone to easily access the messages now i'll pause there because i'm sure you've uh you may or may have you may or may not have a couple of questions on that yeah so let's so i do like to watch tv and movies um and and i feel like it's the classic situation of not i forgot my passcode because well let me start here i'm sure we've all gone through the i've entered the passcode it did. You entered it wrong the first time. You get that ominous warning for more attempts until it locks. Uh-huh. Then you see in these movies and these TV shows, they've got somebody's phone. They need to try to figure out the passcode. They need to do it before it locks or in the I saw, so I finished watching the last season of Billions. I don't know if you watch it at all, Tim, mm, but I did. I did. So there's a there's a scene where there are 10 devices um, with Bitcoin on them. 
and you get 10 chances to enter the passcode. And if you don't do it, then basically whatever Bitcoin is on there is gone forever. And it could be millions of dollars. Um, mm-hmm. And so you get to, you know, nine bad entries and you've got one left. Do you roll the dice or not? All right. So tangent. Sorry for everyone. One cup of coffee. Remember, he's afternoon. I'm morning. Okay. Boris Johnson says, I don't remember the passcode to my phone. Okay, not a big deal. Can't you crack it? Aren't there companies out there that have software that can help crack the passcode? Good question. Um, And the answer is yes, to an extent. Uh, It's older, older versions of phones are far more susceptible to this kind of exploitation or attack. Given the time frame, I mean, he'd be using at least an iPhone 10 if not an 11 or, or something like that and anything anything in that range and beyond up to this you know 14 pro or whatever is next to me are are not susceptible to that kind of attack uh at least not with standard kind of commercial forensic techniques i mean i th- they perhaps could have gone a more sophisticated route uh with with government resources to do that but i'm 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 going to say no i mean the short answer is that's doable on certain older phones, but it's it's relegated to the fiction of cinema and television to some extent. OK, so. Can't remember his passcode. I think you've basically already told us that um, recovery of that data. Is either going to. Require getting into that phone or perhaps getting access to Google or Apple's cloud based storage right mm, right okay. exactly it's so, so yeah so what happens now so he says I, I don't remember my passcode with confidence yeah so so what's happening at, at that probably point in the timeline is that people are scrambling uh p- people like like us people like me people on the forensic team like me everyone who has this sort of background is on 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 this side of the inquiry are saying well, what the heck do we do now? What, where else can we find this stuff? And that, and that's this is how we kind of think about this in our engagements. And you know, if somebody says Jonathan's a key custodian, but you know his phone's in the North Sea, he doesn't remember the password for it anyway. Even if we fish it out with a with a ten foot pole, uh, you know that that sort of thing does come up from time to time. And you have to start thinking about alternative sources for that that data. And we kind of discussed it a little bit earlier, but where WhatsApp are stored are fairly limited that they're on your phone as the sender but where else could they be they could be on they could be on some of the recipients phones and so i right. sort of talked about this in my my unpacking of it a little bit but if you know if prime minister's uh messaging a health minister or somebody like that well then you, you could get a fairly robust perhaps uh copy of those correspondence and those whatsapp chats from from the other party's phone but then you start running into issues, which I won't cover here, of course, um, but but very lightly, they have to do with, um, you know, their data protection, their privacy, uh, you know, their contents, having other sensitive communications with other ministers. You, you start to spiral out of control in terms of the scope and who gets who gets sucked into the, the black hole of this thing. Um, so without that, you're you're left looking at those cloud sources that, that we talked about and you just mentioned. And there's actually little to no uh, clarity in the public record whether he had cloud backups turned on. I've actually not seen any direct indication of that. In fact, I have mine turned off. Sometimes I switch it on and off for, for kind of testing just to see what 
what, what sorts of things have changed. Uh, it's probably, it's probably a good practice generally for most people, but I'm just sort of a data control freak, not a control freak mm-hmm. in general. Uh, but I, I tend to flick off backups to different locations, uh, that are outside of my purview slightly. So WhatsApp will, as an application will actually remind users pretty incessantly to flick on back backups to, to the cloud. If your app ever updates, you might notice it. They call it chat history. I think they, they use a different verbiage, um, but you kind of have to move, move your thumb up a little bit, kind of move out of your uh, lazy routine and hit off or, or no thank you kind of thing. Uh, so, or, 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 you know, policies on the phone or his, his, uh, his team had that, had that switched off perhaps. So let's assume he didn't, didn't have that enabled and, and that wasn't an option. What, what do you do? Well, in this, in this case, they miraculously found the pin code for the phone. I, I don't think it's much, much of a miracle. Uh, I think it was just a, a bureaucratic and administrative kind of slowdown. They, they probably found it on some old email or some, you know, aid of somebody in the no, IT. It was wrote it probably, on a notepad or yeah. it's a, yeah, a post-it stuck underneath the keyboard. It's probably something. No, I'm not like, saying that's what it was for our listeners. Yeah. I'm not, it was a joke, joke. Yeah. Don't know yeah. where it was. Uh, so, so Tim really, you know, it seems to me that the, the message from all of this is if somebody is involved in a situation where messaging data could be important, you know, there needs to be considerations into um, the apps that were used, the devices that were used, and the importance of being curious and asking questions about where associated messages could be stored. You know, was it in the traditional places that we've talked about here? Was it other locations? But, you know, going into uh, into a matter um, and not thinking about messaging apps, devices used for that messaging in storage would be a, a, a critical miss. Mm. Yeah, I almost, you know, as you say this, I'm almost thinking I should, our, our team should create some kind of uh, printable or, you know, PDF infographic of the, the, the sort of likelihood of message retention and acquisition over, over a timeline. So is it, you know, are relevant messages from five years ago? Now I'm, you can't see me. I'm sort of shaking my head. That's starting to get fairly difficult. Right. Uh, just the, the rapid pace at which people upgrade phones, they change mobile numbers. I, I talked about this a little bit in the D3 blast, but you know, WhatsApp and a couple of other applications are tied to mobile phone numbers specifically. They're not tied to Jonathan Sachs at IDS. They're not tied to your Gmail account. They're not tied to anything but your mobile carrier's subscribed phone number. And if you change that, you you can be you, you can be in a world of hurt trying to trying to reacquire um, those, um, verify them from a cloud backup, that sort of thing. It gets very very difficult. Uh, so people just you know one of the takeaways is just to have awareness of this kind of thing. You know that that they are dynamic, that they are nuanced. That you know just because somebody says they remember those conversations happening doesn't mean we're going to magically you know Hoover them up right. uh, from a single device. It might require quite a bit of uh, head banging against the wall, trying four or five different things. Uh, Dom and I here in the London office worked on a case a couple months ago now, all the months have been flying. I think it was in the winter. Uh, and I think we did try seven or eight different sophisticated methods to get WhatsApp data from, from an Android phone. 
in particular. It was absolutely brutal. Uh, mm. But we we got to the very last method we could possibly construct, and, and it was successful. Uh, but but that took probably the better part of a week and a half. Um, so people have to lay down some expectations as well. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'll be very curious to see what the press does with any findings that come out. Um, but certainly you've got me thinking about WhatsApp. Um, maybe I should start using it more. I think I have uh, maybe three WhatsApp numbers, uh, yours, uh, Dan Ruprich's, and um, my black cab driver for when I uh, make yeah. my way over to London. So we have a we have a chat. We have a chat that you're not in. If that makes you feel better, Jonathan yeah. does does not. But at least I don't have to worry about remembering my pin code or whether or not I'm backing up that WhatsApp somewhere else. So uh, anyway, uh, I want to thank Tim for joining us today, uh, as well as our regular subscribers and those that may be first time listeners. If you'd like to learn more about IDS or want to subscribe to our IDS Talks podcast, you can visit IDSinc.com or wherever you normally get your podcasts from. As I mentioned, if you'd like to start getting uh, Tim's D3 uh, email newsletter, just reach out to him. He'd be happy to add you. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Uh, I look forward to talking more about data with you on our next edition of IDS Talks. 